0: Welcome Redeem. It's so exciting to get to be here this morning and bring a message to you on the subject of love. You know it's interesting this uh, word love is so important in everything we do and it'd be very easy to miss it today. And so I want us to take love and look at it in terms of is there something that we can do to literally literally have our lives transformed and in Could our lives ever be transformed outside of the love of God? I'm guessing if we were uh, really thoughtful, there would never be a time where we sense God moving, changing, growing us outside of His love for us, and we're going to see that. And um, I want us to also acknowledge what would it be like if we actually carried the love of God to a community? In my community, I've always wanted to have it kind of like a mindset of living on a dead-end street where you feel safe, where everybody knows everybody. In growing up in Houston, we did that. I lived at 3808 Arnold Street. It was a dead-end. And we're talking Houston, Texas. And yet we lived in the same house for 14 years. And when we purchased the house, they didn't give us keys for the locks on the front and back door. And so we just never had them. We never changed the locks, we never went and got keys. For 14 years, we lived in a house where we never locked the door. We were the second at the end of a dead end street and every neighbor knew each other and looked out for each other. I mean, we're talking, we moved there and all the neighbors came out and helped unload the U-Haul. Again, seven kids pulling up in a giant U-Haul and the neighbors actually come out and bring food and help. That was an amazing community to live in. And it was just one of these things that I always kind of compare uh, life to for what I'd love to be able to experience today. And so what's interesting for a lot of us right now, especially in this crazy pandemic or post-pandemic COVID time, we don't even know our neighbors that well. We're so used to being hunkered in that we forget what it's like to be out, to grow, to connect with people, to bring love, to bring the cookies, and to just really uh, help extend community. And that's exactly what Jesus is gonna tell us today. If you want to be in true community, you're gonna have to know the love of God, and He's gonna be crystal clear. This is the new operating system. That's what we're gonna find out. I've loved the fact that Kirk challenged our teaching team uh, several months ago, that he wanted to be able to see us uh, come to John chapter 14, 15, and 16, and to be able to communicate this idea of a new operating system. Because he said, this is where Jesus took his disciples, he took them aside and he said, if we're gonna create change, we're really gonna need to do something different. And he actually moved the people from existing in a religious environment that was counterproductive to community, to moving them in and as a community to change everything. So that's what transformative is. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part 2,000 years later of being able to say hey we are creating an amazing community it's not a religious thing it's not a church thing it is a love of god in us changing everything thing that's what we're looking for and i think we've already started the the, uh, pilgrimage or the journey i want you to know all my life i've always wanted to be a part of a church that had multiple preachers and so we have a as you know a preaching or a teaching team and what I love about it is that we have young and old, male and female, black and white, and I mean rich and poor. It sounds like being at a, a wedding and giving you know the the vows, you know, for better or for worse. It is so aligned to Galatians chapter 3:28. I just want to read it. It says, "There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all." one in Christ Jesus. That's transformative. If we could bring that truth to the community, our communities would be so much better, that we're all in it together, that we all value each other, that we all have voice and we want to hear perspectives from others because we know God loves through all and leads through all. So great job, Redeem family, for having a, uh, a preaching team that's actually reflective of our demographics. Uh, last week, I just want to talk about uh, our teaching and preaching team. Liz spoke on abiding uh, in the Spirit, and it was so fantastic, really abiding in Christ. And what she ended up saying was that if you're going to bear fruit, if you're going to really bring value, it's because you are close and in Him. And then I, I loved it because she said it's when we're in Him that that fruit really has uh, just the, the right amount of life in it that can create and bring life for others and then I also like she said that basically old people rock so good job was on that one and then Eddie the week before that he spoke on the spirit being led by the spirit and what I loved about it is basically Eddie said that when the spirit of God leads you you have to trust that the spirits leading you and so you can't trust in your own outcome because if you do you limit your outcome but if you trust in what the Holy Spirit can do through us, now we're able to see amazing change. So again, the new operating systems, abide in Christ, be in Him, bear fruit, bring value to the other people. The new operating system is, let the Holy Spirit do in us what we are unable to do in and of ourselves, you know, break the limits. And then the week before that, uh, Kurt said, well, I remember a few things. One is that he said he's terrified of uh, hot air balloons and clowns. But besides that, what I what I loved about his message is he said that Jesus is calling us to do really hard things, but they're great things. And if we're gonna do these great things that Jesus is calling us to, we do need a new operating system. It's not show up for a church and go through three songs and a 30-minute message and leave. He said it's actually willing to come and be transformed and bring the heart of wanting to grow and change, bring a desire to want to do those things that Christ did for us and allow him to do them through us. And he said, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to grow. And I I love that message. And so for me, I'm looking at it today and saying, now, how does the the love of God in John chapter 15 verses, you know, 12, basically through the end of the chapter, uh, verse 27, how does that align in terms of a new operating system? Well, I just want to tell you right up front, he's going to say this. He's going to say, I have a new commandment that I'm giving to you. He, re- he relates to it in John chapter 13, 34 through 38. We won't have time to read that now, but you can look at it later. And in that, he's going to say, this is that new commandment that you actually see love through the lens of laying your life down for another person. And until you can see that, you're not seeing love correctly. So that's why he says it's a new commandment. That commandment to love God and love your neighbor, that's been there since the beginning. It's not new in the sense that it's a new idea. It's new in its application. It's new in terms of it is the operating system. So we have to be able to look at it and say, we're willing to have the love of God be the lens by which we see life. We are willing to have the love of God be our operating system because, as we said at the very beginning, most of us who have gone through change, we went through change because the love of God compelled us to do something different. It moved us. And we actually then got in alignment with it. What's sad is that when we're not aligned with the love of God, we're going to miss stuff. We really are. Because why? It says that he is love. And so he's going to operate that way. Will we operate that way as well? And friends, even when I uh, look at this passage, today, so I'm just giving you a disclaimer. When we read it, it, it's going to just be really crystal clear. Without love, there's no going forward. Without love, there's no advancing in this kingdom. Without love, there's no real, real way to connect to another individual. Love will literally transform you and me. Therefore, we now have the power of love to change others. And so as I've been reading this passage for over a week and just studying it, I actually had to ask myself, do I believe that? Do I really believe that if I am going to love people the way God loves them, that it'll create a better outcome? Uh, Or do we just push things forward or do we continue to get what we've got? And when you look at it that way, I'm giving love a chance, I really am. So it might be hard to believe, but what I'd like for you to do is ask yourself this question, And I've alluded to it, but when have you been able to grow the most or really change, go from one level to a whole other level? When were you able to really sense uh, just the pleasure, the goodness, the presence of God? When were you able to actually um, come to a place in your life where you knew something was different and there was no going back? There's no going back. Think on it. And then, then ask yourself, where was love in the middle of that? And I'm guaranteeing you, love drove it. Love motivated it. Love moved it. Love was the momentum for it to happen. And that's what we're gonna see, whether it's easy to believe or not. And sometimes, I, I know it's hard to believe the stuff that we read in the Bible. Uh, I read my Bible every morning. I read about a chapter a day uh, very early. I get up in the fours, the latest in the five. So we're talking 4.30, before 4.30. Uh, five at the latest, and I'm in down there and I'm reading that word. And the reason I do that is because I need to sense this truth and the love of God in that quiet place because I need to be filled with his presence and his truth every day. And when I do it, there's, I'm telling you, I still have a hard time believing some of the stuff I read. It's literally, I read it and I go, there were blind people who were made to be able to see. There were lame people lame people who were made to be able to walk. There were people who were enemies and hateful and awful and murderers and they turned to be uh, kind, loving, generous people. I, I read this stuff and I just have to say, wow, it seems so off to what I see today. Therefore, it makes it hard to believe. Well, look, don't let your believer, your current level of life experiences, keep you from aligning yourself with God's word says. We believe all sorts of weird stuff, and um, and I'm asking you to open your heart at this very moment and just say, Lord, I'm looking for truth, and I'm looking to believe in the things that really do matter. I uh, I, I like to keep it that simple because some of the stuff doesn't matter that much, and yet we believe it, and we or we just uh, ignore things that we should be doing. One of the things that I find fascinating is when people believe stuff that I know is wrong. I mean, you just know it's wrong. And so one of those things, I just wanna be able to uh, see where you're at on this. This is is like a test for a moment. So I'm I'm gonna uh, let you know that I'm gonna show up on the screen uh, an article by the World, I mean the Weekly World News. And so this is the Weekly World News and it actually pertains to a man that's half alligator and half human, and he was actually found in the swamps of Florida, and you can find this on the internet, and not only that, but if you live in Washington, you can see him for free at Marsh's Museum in Long Beach. And so show, show us the uh, screenshot of Jake, half man, half alligator, and it even says right here that the scientists found him in a Florida swamp, so you know it's gotta be true, right, because it's scientific. Uh, if you read the whole article, you know what you'd also see is that Jake, the half-alligator, half-human, was actually a deacon at a Baptist church uh, in Florida. So that's pretty cool. Maybe you don't really believe it just because of the article here. Would you now do slide number two? And this is an actual picture of Jake. It's his corpse, but he's stuffed, and he's in a glass booth. And here he is, uh, I mean, just right there at Marshall's Museum. You can drive down there or you can just look at this but i mean do you really think that's real? i mean it's pretty crazy the stuff we believe right i want to show you what's going to be really fun at the end of the message i'm going to show you also a chair at marshall's museum because i want you to go to long beach uh, because their tourism is suffering right now so i'm trying to help you guys get out there and uh, a little love and kudos to long beach but anyway they're going to have a love chair in the middle of marshes. Now, it's not free. Jake is free, but the love chair, you got to put a quarter in, and it will tell you how good of a lover you really are, and I sat in that thing. We're going to come back to at the end, but there's another thing that I wanted to show, and this one's just for free. This is a bonus picture, so if you now would show the image of this clown puppet marionette, and this, this is really creepy, and Kurt, this is just for you. Uh, I appreciate you not liking clowns. This little, uh, the only thing worse than a clown is a puppet clown marionette. Anyway, have fun with that. Can you imagine I mean, the things that you look at and you believe and you wonder? I, I sometimes I think, I wonder what people believe about the church. I mean, I wonder if they, if they feel like it's kind of weird, like a Marshall's museum. I wonder if they kind of feel it's creepy. And then I think like this, I wonder how God feels about the church. Wouldn't wouldn't it be interesting to say, Lord, how do you really feel about us? Are we like creepy clowns, or are we really your children that you love and adore? And it's interesting because today we're going to find out how he really feels about us. And good news is we're not creepy clowns. The truth is, is that we are his children that he died for, that he loves. In fact, he calls us nothing short of this, friends. He says, I want to make sure you get this right. You're not my servants. You're not my slaves. You're not my saved people. You are my friend. And that's what we're going to see. And when you lean into the friendship of God, it's a new operating system and all things become new. And so I just wanted to ask you this question. How do you feel about the church? Why do you go or not go? How do you feel about the church? And why do you go or not go? Well, another way maybe... uh, to ask that same question, is to go a little deeper and say this. And just maybe you'll even complete this statement with me. The church exists too. The church exists too. What does the church exist to do? Well, now we're going to find out. Let's go to John chapter 15. First of all, I'm just going to read verse 12. And it's going to say this. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So what we know is that the church exists to know the love of God and to be able to love one another. So why do we go? We go because we love God, we want to connect with him, and we also love one another, and we want to be loved and give love one to another. That's why we really go. And if we're not going for that, that we're likely missing it. Another way to say this is that uh, God has even commanded us because he's, he says, I want, I want you to see this as a commandment. Not, it's not an option. It's a commandment that you love one another. And so when he's commanding us to love one another, you know it's in our best interest. And so when we come together, we shouldn't be doing it because we have extra time or we don't have anything else to do or we do it out of obligation. We go because we genuinely love one another. And maybe we don't have the community that we want in our own neighborhood yet, but man, that community ought to be alive and well at the church. It really should You should go and you should feel so loved. You, You should feel like you can't miss it. It's just too important. And that's what he's looking for. And I find it fascinating that the church actually exists to be able to walk in the love of God, and to give it one to another. That's the operating system, and anything less than that is less, and that's not what he's looking for. And While this probably seems like a simple truth to you, the fact is, is that we as humans are not that great at loving others. It's true, you know, it's, and here I can prove it to you. How many books have been written on how to improve your marriages, how to improve yourself, love this, I mean, how to grow as an individual? There are so many books. There are hundreds of them on how to love better and be our best selves, and yet uh, none of them have worked. And I'll tell you why. Because none of them deal with the simple truth that human love is all about self-preservation. So what we're doing is we're trying to pr- preserve ourselves, preserve our rights, we're trying to get our way, and it's really selfishness. And You can write a million books, all that you want, until you are able to die to self and selfishness. You're not gonna experience true love because true love has nothing to do with your self-interest. True love is finding what's valuable and giving it away to those who don't even deserve it. That's the true love that God's gonna talk about today. And so our self-preservation gene is from Adam, and it's called a selfish human nature. And we're gonna to have to kill that thing at the core is that humans love to protect their self. God loves to give His self away. In fact, He even literally died so that His best self could be made available to us, and that's what we're gonna see at the end. Read with me now as we go to John 15. I'm gonna read the first paragraph, 15, 12 through 17. And this is the portion that's really about, hey, disciples, This is how I need you to have a relationship with each other. So John 15, 12 to 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slave, For the slave does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. This, this isn't a reprimand to the disciples. This is a new operating system. Jesus is saying, I don't know what you've heard before. You've heard before that you better follow the rules and that the rules are gonna reaffirm whether or not God loves you and whether or not you can come to the temple. But he's going, that, that's not my command. My commandment is that you actually experience my love and give it one to another, that you love one another. I just think it's kind of sad that we have to be commanded and told to love each other. So again, this is how we as humans know that we're not getting it right because we're so needy in desiring and protecting ourself and preserving that self that we actually have to be told to love somebody else. And so here's, here's an important lesson. Is that our motives often cannot be understood, but Christ's motives are crystal clear here. I've loved you, I've shown you everything that the Father has, I don't call you slave, I don't call you anything. My desire is to be a friend with you, and that's the kind of love that will transform your life. And when you're a friend of God, then you're going to be able to do these great things, your fruit's going to matter, the things that you ask are going to come into fruition. That's the way it really works, however. If we're uh, at this place of not experiencing the love of God, then I'm afraid that what we do is that we uh, misalign ourselves with what we're supposed to be doing with our lives and what the call of the church is. The call of the church, the church exists to love God and to reach people. That's what it does. And so when we love God, we're going to love one another, and that is reaching people. Another way to say it is that the great commandment is to love god and love your neighbor as yourself the great commission is to go again we've said this before going is growing and so we're we're going because we're growing and changing in the love of god that's the way it's written but what we don't want it to do to do is to misalign ourselves with that mission any other missions the wrong operating system and so when you get a new operating system you don't get to run on mac 11.0 when and mac 12.3 at the same time it's one or the other you actually have to remove one get it off your computer you have to reload and then you have to turn it off and reboot that's how it really works you can't sit there and say i'm going to follow these rules i'm going to do these things i'm going to treat people well if they treat me well and experience to walk in this new operating system until we can learn to love people the way god loves us it's going nowhere in a sense i think that's good i'm going to pull up a slide now because I work for Franklin Covey, and they're an amazing change management uh, company, and they have 30 years of research, and here's an amazing research that I want you to see. It's called the credibility perception. And in this, you're gonna see that the way I view myself is generally in the 80 to 90% of good, but the way others see me and view me is in the 50s. (laughs) You don't even get 60s. So over 30 years, this data has proven accurate. We judge ourselves real high, and others see us much lower. And the answer is, why is that? Well, the truth of the matter is, we judge ourselves on our intent. In other words, we have great intentions. Others judge us on how we actually behave in the outcomes. And so now take that same credibility perception and apply it to the church. And my guess is if we looked at it, the way that I view Christianity in church is probably in the 80s. But the way the world views it is, is in the 50s and the 60s. Why? Because it's not our intentions that matter to them. It's whether or not we are actively loving them. And people know when they're loved well. They really do. And so that's that uh, fact that we get to move into this new place of love and truth, knowing that his love and his truth never fail, they always land. And that's the kind of love he wants to give. And in this, he's gonna say, if when you walk this way, you're gonna be able to uh, actually ask for things in his name, which means with his motives, perfectly aligned in his love, and that's when it happens. So if we're praying right now and things aren't moving, we're either misaligned, right? Or we're already going to uh, see the answer. It just hasn't happened yet. But if you're aligned with him and you're asking, it will be given, it says so here. And so I'm not going to ask for things that have to do with self-preservation when I need to be asking for things that have true love in them. If I am, then his will is not going to materialize or show itself in that prayer. But I don't want us to get sloppy and just say, in my name. In my name means that because you're a friend of God, you're aligned to his love and his life. The operating system works and bam, you hit the key and that uh, window opens up. I also love in this passage that it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I, I'm, I'm not wanting to um, take away from the most important decision any of us will ever make is to choose God, to actually be able to say, I believe in God. I want him to be my God. I want him to love me, to forgive me. I want him to transform my life. That's not a, a small choice, but the truth of the matter is, friends, we're kind of like bugs. Bugs are going to fly to the light. Jesus is the light. hes I mean, we're predestined to choose him. And that's what he's telling us. And it's actually good news because he has set it up to where we aren't supposed to miss it. And if you just barely have an inclination between what's real and what's forever, why would you not go to the light? Why would you not choose him? And the fact that he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. He's telling you, I already chose you. And for me, it was like when I asked my wife to marry and i marry me, I did a bad job. I really did. But she said, yes. I mean, I did ask her, kind of. I said, well, well, we should get married. And she said, are you asking me to marry? I said, yes. And she said, okay. She said, yes. But she chose me, but I chose her first. I asked her. And here's the power of what Jesus is saying. Don't you understand? I want you to take my name. I want to be married to you. I want you to be my bride. How can you say anything but yes to that? And when you do, we're in. That's what he's telling us. So now we're gonna get to what the disciples' relationship to the world is supposed to be. Let's read John chapter 18, verses 25. I mean, John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Who He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So this is a hard passage that Jesus has just told his his disciples. First, he's saying, you're my friends. I love you. Let's do this. You are my disciples. This is the new operating system. Let's go. Oh, by the way, one disclaimer, the world's going to hate you. And I just, I, I don't see this as, hey, be afraid to go. I I see this as know what it's going to cost you to go. And now let's go with the right strategies, the right heart, and the right momentum. I want you to know that when he says, if you were of the world, that he's literally telling them you you would have a different operating system. And so now I just want to acknowledge uh, those that are Christian and those who are not. Sometimes we try to make Christianity this thing that anybody can believe in, that it's just a, yeah, I, I believe, I could, I could see myself, I attend church, whatever. This is not what's being said. He's saying, you're no longer of the world. Why? Because something has transformed your life. And we as Christians, we know what it is. We literally have said, Lord, I want you to kill that self that I'm trying to preserve. I want you to kill it because I want your new life, your spirit, to be able to come and transform me. I want a whole new quote-unquote blood transfusion. I want the blood and life of Christ to flow through my life, not the self-preservation and selfishness that, uh, that I've carried up to this point. And so the world operates this way. The man with the most toys wins. The American dream to have multi-cars with a garage full of stuff. It's the get to the top. It's to compete with your neighbor. It's so different than lay your life down for others. It's so different than wake up early in the morning and sense the presence of God versus wake up in the morning so that the early bird catches the worm or whatever that is. It's so different. And so I love this new operating system. And so it's not a matter of the fact that we're going to actually just operate different, but we are wired to operate different. Here's the beauty of it. You wouldn't notice this if you didn't understand Greek and the power of God's word here is that he had the Greeks make sure that they gave the words to this particular passage. So in the passage to the disciples where he's saying, I want you to know my love. I want you to live my love. The word for love there is agape. It's unconditional love. It doesn't matter uh, what you've done. There's no conditions attached. My love is pure for you. It is your life source. The love here that we're seeing that's talked about the fact that the world's not going to love you but hate you, it's because the word for love in the world is philo, philio. And it has to do with a brotherly love. In other words, because you're my brother, because you've got my back. It's, it's basically favor brokering. I'll do this for you because you do this for me. It's a creating an alliance based upon the fact that I need you to do something for me. And it's so sad to me because I've seen a lot of marriages based upon Philo love as opposed to unconditional love. Love isn't about what the other person can do for you. Love, greater love has no one in this, that we lay down our life for another person. And so that's the power of it. And we cannot walk in this forever, forever unfailing love until we first experienced it. And that is why we ask God to uh, forgive us, to come in and to make us new. When people say, I've been born again, what they're saying is, I've literally given my old self, my old way, my old operating system over and received the new one. God's love is going to be for those who really genuinely want to change, to be transformed, and to carry the love and the life of God. When you have sensed God's love, friends, I'm telling you right now there is no going back. And here's here's a warning signal for you as I close. Self-preservation blocks new revelation. So... God's trying to create a new operating system for us. He's trying to create a new perspective, a new heart even. He's trying to take our heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. He's trying to cause our life to be able to reflect his own. And if there's self there, then the way God is, because remember, God is God. That means he's I am. That means there's nobody bigger or better than him, right? You can come up with all your man-made concepts of why you don't need him or how you could be better than him. You're not God. You're not going to improve him. He's improvable. He's all all that and more. In fact, I mean, there's no end to him. There's no end to his love. It's not strenuous for him to love on us because he's always love. In fact, he says, every morning I'll pour out new love and acts of loving kindness just for you if you'll receive them. So it's receiving his love that makes us new and different. And that's that's what's going to make the operating system work. If you're not operating out of being loved by him, then you don't have love to take to other people. It's just that simple. So are you in a place where you're willing to receive his love today? Are you, are you just willing to say, I need it. I want to receive it. For some of us, we're going to be in two caps again. As Christians, we're going to be we're drained. I mean, we are drained. We've been misunderstood. The world is rubbed us the wrong way. We've tried to make things fit. We've tried the, the best we can of our own abilities, and yet our own abilities won't get it done. It's only love of God that's going to get it done. We go to church, and we hear the three songs, and we hear the 30-minute message, and we, we want to be changed, but we're not because the songs and the message won't change us. What changes us is that we come to meet the presence of God. We come to give His life to others. We come to literally say, Lord, here we are. We're your friends. We want to connect with you. That's what changes us. And so Christians, Let's receive His love. Let's abide in it, as Liz said. Let's do the hard thing, as Kurt said, and make sure that we're willing to literally give our life away to be able to see great things take place. Let's follow the Holy Spirit, as Eddie encouraged us to do. And right now, because this feels a little bit intense to me, I just want to read the last two passages because there's help. This is what it says. And here's the conclusion of Jesus' word to His people. He says to them, in verse 26 through 27 to 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You know, it's interesting. Some people don't believe in the Trinity. I don't know how you don't believe in Trinity. It's right here. And then he says this, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. You will love people so well because you've experienced my love. You will testify. You will reflect. You will be this sense of change. You will be the transformation that transforms others. That's how it really works. And so now I want you to look uh, at the uh, place in your life that says the church exists to do this, which we've said is to really love God and know him and then to reach others with his love. Let me ask you, what is your reason for existence? Why do you exist? It's just, it's good to reflect on that. And I would suggest to you that at the uh, end of our lives is the right place to begin. Go to the end of your life and what do you really want to have given away before you go away? And, And I'm telling you, what you really want to give away is everything that's lovable and good and pure. That's what you want to give away. Where do you get everything that's lovable, good and pure? You get it from the Father. And so if you haven't received his life and his love, this is your day. Now I wanna show you uh, another picture. And this picture is the love chair at Marshall's Museum. And again, I'm warning you, this one's not free. it costs a quarter. It might be more now, I haven't been there for a while. But you sit in it and then it has a little speaker and it says, you know, lousy or lovable or whatever. I was so thankful when I sat in it and things said lovable. Uh, I mean, who wants to sit there with everybody, look around and have it say lousy or something like that? But uh, obviously, wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't it be cool if you could sit in a chair and have it tell you, tell you whether or not you were loved by God, or whether or not you love God? And I'm telling you friends, all of a sudden, one day we're sitting in that chair, we're going to sit in the chair, and it's going to say, "Friend of God, I knew you." And, that, and that's a beautiful thing. And, it, and there's only one way to get in the chair, and that's to say, "I need help." I need to help her. I need to be gladly forgiven because in and of myself, I don't have it. So if you never have, let me encourage you to do this. Say, Lord God, I choose you. I know you first chose me, but I'm choosing you this very day. I give my life to you because everything else is pale in comparison to you. And it's my privilege to be able to sit in your chair and to tell you myself, I love you, and you, Lord God, are loving and worthy of my love. Let's do it. In Jesus' name, amen.